Welcome to another Art of Relationships podcast with Dr. Tim Mioha. And Dr. Chris Grace. Well, we've been able to join you all for a number of weeks now talking about the all things relationships. And it's been a fun chance to sit down and visit not only Tim with you, but with different topics on relationships and Every once in a while, we get the opportunity to bring in a very fun guest, that's right. and that's today. And so uh, we are bringing in Brian Loritz. So Brian, welcome, and we're so glad you're here. Good to be here. Uh, go Blue Devils. Go Blue uh, Devils, <laughs> dear Lord. Oh and they're probably going to do well again this year, aren't they? <laughs> hey, uh, just for the audience who may not know Brian, many of you do. He's a pastor at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View, California, and he previously was a pastor up at Trinity Grace in New York City and co-founder of Fellowship Memphis. And Absolutely. Three children, three sons, Quentin, Miles, and Jaden, and wife, Corey, yeah. and you're on our board of trustees at Biola, where we got to know each other. And then, Tim, I know you've gotten to know Brian in a couple of capacities Yeah, one of well. the great things about having a podcast is able to bring good friends on. Uh, unfortunately, that's not today. Um, no, the, so let me explain to the listeners the joke about the Blue Devils. Uh, Brian and I have known each other for a while. We've spoken at marriage conferences together. He knows I did all my graduate work at God's University, <laughs> the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And so that the, the Blue Devil comment was well noted. And, and in all seriousness, uh, Tim, um, he trained my wife and I when we spent like five years uh, at Family Life. So, gosh, I guess that makes you Yoda to my Luke Skywalker. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, it's great to have you. Good it really is. Yeah. Uh, Brian, it's it's just a, an honor to have you here. Uh, I know you've been recently named even one of the top 30 emerging Christian leaders, and it's a lot because of your heart, your desire to not only uh, are you a pastor of a multi-ethnic church, but you are well-spoken of, and you've just come out with a new book, Saving the Saved, and it is a great book. We're going to tell listeners more about it. We'll put it on our on our podcast website called Saving the Saved. And then um, it is it, it's how Jesus saves us from try harder Christianity into performance-free love. So let's do this. Let's just spend some time talking about it. Nice. It's an awesome book. Uh, let me just start off with a question real quick. Tell us what performance-free love is. And, and it, there's a lot there. Uh, it means a lot, but in a nutshell, I think what you're trying to tell Christians and what you the reason you wrote this is because it was a big part of your life growing up like this. And uh, to be performance-free, to be loved yep. for who we are is a unique pivot that you made at some point. Tell us about that. So yeah, you know, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of um, Neil Gaiman. And Neil, British author, says that he writes to figure out what he thinks about a subject. Mm-hmm. Huh. And you know what? When I read that, I go, I think that's true of why I wrote this book. Like I was, I really wanted to crystallize what I thought about salvation, but grace specifically. Mm -hmm. And it really arose out of a four-year sermon series I did on the Gospel of Matthew, Mm -hmm. because I was pastoring in the Bible Belt at the time. Mm -hmm. And what I figured out right away is in the Bible Belt city like Memphis, most of the people there, when they'd get baptized and we'd film their baptism stories, the story pretty much was grew up in church, um, but didn't really understand the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then I then I started, I stumbled onto this idea that Matthew, what makes his gospel different from the others is, is his audience. So he writes it to Jews. Mm-hmm. And just going, that's interesting that you would write the gospel to people who go to synagogue every week, <laughs> moral, who, people. moral yeah. people who go to temple on high and holy days. They say the average Jew at that time gave 19.2% of their income you know, to God, and yet 
to write a gospel to them is kind of a slap in the face, a nice slap in the face to say, mm-hmm. you're missing it here. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's a part of it that is very disconcerting mm-hmm. to think that I can do all those things but still miss it. Mm-hmm. But then there's a part of it that's very comforting. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I, I can get off the treadmill of performance, of work, of this thing that we call moralism. I speak a lot of moralism. And I, and I wanted to speak specifically to Christians who are laboring under the tyranny of guilt and shame, but I think it speaks to everybody because I, I don't care what your view of God is, um, everybody has this notion of moralism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I do good things, whatever that is, if I do enough of that, then I'll feel better about myself or I'll be accepted. Mm-hmm. And this book tries to redirect people into a very freeing place, which is God's grace. Yeah, so you call it meritocracy, Yeah, I guess, this idea that we earn or de- trying to develop something like that. It's, it's uh, something that we're all familiar with, right? I mean, this isn't necessarily a Christian right. uh, problem. It's all of us have this issue of trying to earn love from somebody yep. else. And you, you, it, you use Matthew in an interesting way. You started off even in Matthew 4 with the temptation yep. of Jesus. How did that tie in and how, how do you see that working in this? Because Jesus' reactions and responses were pretty informative and helpful for us. And I love the way you unpacked that. Right. So, you know, in, in Matthew 3, that's his baptism, mm-hmm. right? And he comes out of the waters and God says to him, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I just remember reading that and just going, man, this is on the front end of his ministry. Mm. This is before he's preached a sermon. This is before he's healed anybody. This is before he's raised anybody from the dead, before he's fed the 5,000 out of a few pieces of fish and a few loaves of bread. Mm. And God just says, I'm proud of you. I mean, before he's performed yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that right there is enough for me to go. I think that's a good grid for parenting, by the way. Mm. I'm proud of you, period. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. and, and trying not to tie into I'm proud of you because you came home with, mm-hmm. or I'm proud of you because you made up your bed because nobody had to ask. I got three teenage boys, so I'm, <laughs> there's a little woundedness here. But <laughs> to simply say I'm proud of you, period, yeah. is incredibly freeing. And then right on the heels of that, Again, there's a wonderful caveat here, and that is Jesus is God, okay? But I think from a human perspective, I think what emboldens Jesus to be able to weather that storm is because of a steadfast security in his relationship with God. So the Mm -hmm. temptations come right on the heels of that, and him just saying, I don't have to, because all those temptations are Satan saying, prove yourself to me, perform yourself, perform for me. And Jesus going, I don't, if, if I'm okay with God, I don't have to perform for you. Hmm. Wow. So let me apply that for parenting for a second. I, I couldn't help but think when you were saying that. I have a friend who's, who's a Muslim. And once we were talking about the differences between our faith traditions, and this is what he said to me. When, when I described our system as grace-based, yeah. his response was, well, that'd be anarchy. I mean, that'd be anarchy. It's like, it's like everybody would do whatever what they wanted. At least the five pillars of Islam keep me in line. I know what to do. I know what to expect. And I know what God's favor rests on. Because what you're describing is anarchy. So imagine listeners saying, but do, what, about, what about standards in the house? What about, what about a, a child who doesn't live up to my standard? Right. And yet I still say, hey, we're good. I'm proud. Yeah. Where, where does that come in? That the corrective part of it, right? So I think, I think for me in my Christian worldview, especially when it comes to parenting, I, I default to God and how He parents me, mm. right? And I, I would where I would agree with your Muslim friend is, 
Yes. Is there a danger to grace being misused? And Paul speaks to that in Romans 6. Yeah, yeah. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Yes. So it can lead to anarchy. Okay. But on the other side of things, I look at how God parents, I just, so if I went to the Exodus event and I go, it's interesting to me the order of it. God doesn't give the Ten Commandments first and says, hey, do these things and then I'll open up the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, what he does is he goes, I'm going to open up the Red Sea first. Incredible grace. And then on the tail end of that, hey, by the way, can you do these things? So I would say to your Muslim friend, and I was very concerned about this in the book, I did not want someone to leave that going, he believes in kind of this antinomian view of life. And that's, you know, for listeners out there, that's literally without law. Sometimes people have a, have a faulty view of grace where, hey, I've got grace, I don't have to do anything. No, it's all about the order. God graciously opens up the Red Sea. He graciously saves us. Mm. But then there's commandments on the other side of that with the hope being that I do those things as a joyful response to his grace. So it's oh, like grace good. becomes a stimulator, Yeah, yeah. right? That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So we're both uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. Noreen and I were on staff. It's crew now. Crew, you're right. And yes. I kill my dad because they spent yes. a lot of money. Yes, they did. A lot of study groups, <laughs> and that's what they came up with. Crew. <laughs> Yes. Okay, that's a tangent. Um, yes, yeah, so we're, we both have a crew background. I, I love Dr. Bright's decision with the four spiritual laws, because you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. And he starts with law one, God loves you. Yeah. Law two is, hey, you're sinful and you don't measure up. Yeah. He could have started that as being yeah. the first one, and that sets us on a trajectory. Yeah. I love, because there are dangers. I have three boys as well. Yeah. There's a danger of saying, hey, guys, mom and dad love you no matter what. We are proud of you no matter what. Right. And they're like, awesome. Yeah. You know, and it's like, holly, holly, oxen free. But you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And to be rooted in love, uh, unconditional love is hard, but it's yeah. a good, I think it's the right choice to start there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's freeing. Um, I love what Tim Keller says. He says, grace will never, I mean, excuse me, guilt will never change the fundamental structures of your heart. Mm. Mm. So guilt and shame, they just don't. Mm-hmm. They're horrible instruments of transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Romans 2.4, God's kindness yeah. leads to yeah. repentance. Yep. Yep. Now, if you reverse the order of it, now you've got moralism. Mm-hmm. Repent, Repent to get God's kindness. kindness. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's, it's kindness that stimulates the change. Mm-hmm. That's really good. You talk about going from performing to abiding. And what would, what's your take? What, if somebody were to ask you, what's your definition of abiding, what would you say? Yeah, John 15, 1 through 8, you know, Jesus talks about, I'm the true vine, my father's vine dresser, every branch of me. And he just goes on to talk about this concept of abide. He's, John's writing in Greek, the Greek word for abide, meno, simply means to remain. So it's a life that just kind of remains. I actually think, this is kind of weird, I think the, the quiet time emphasis actually does violence to this idea of abiding. Wow. Nice. It, Unpack that. Yeah, the idea of, hey... Spend 30 minutes reading your Bible, praying, and then the other 23 and a half hours is up to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, not, yeah. that's, not, that's not the Bible. And in a lot of ways, the abiding idea frees me. I once heard John Piper say, uh, prayer is like taking short breaths. Mm-hmm. Well, that man, because I used to guilt myself that I couldn't pray for three hours every morning like oh. Martin Luther. <laughs> yeah. yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But what I can do is... Sentence prayers throughout the day, driving home at the end of work, God, 
give me the strength to fully engage and to be fully present with my wife and kids. Boom, I can do that. So it's that idea of staying connected. And then now what happens is the works that I do, it's like Dallas Willard says, um, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Mm. That's good. So, so there's a place for work in the Christian life, but again, those things are joyful responses to the abiding grace of Christ that's in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a principle of life. So even when I think about evangelism, right? I hear the word evangelism, I'm like, oh gosh, you know, sweaty palms and yeah. slow-mo football <laughs> at, <laughs> um, at Daytona Beach. <laughs> at Daytona Beach, yes. so that kind of a thing. But if you, if you put evangelism in the context of a joyful response, mm-hmm. yeah. it's a principle of life. Whatever gives us joy, we talk about. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I had in and out I mean, you talk about a, <laughs> hey, I'm telling everybody, oh, you got to have the double-double animal style. Well, I mean, that's a trite you know, illustration, but it gave me joy, and now what am I doing? Out of that joy, I'm telling people. And I think if we encased evangelism yeah. like that or, or giving money, mm-hmm. I mean, these, are, these are delights because of what God's grace is doing in my life. See, I don't think that's a trite illustration. Uh, One that I've sometimes used is I I get migraines. I'm a migraine sufferer. And somebody recommended a product to me. I won't mention it. But I tried it, and it worked. Hmm. It it cut my migraines in half. So whenever somebody says, I have a migraine, I say to them, hey, listen, I, I I don't get paid to do this. I don't get like a kickback but you got to try this product. Hmm. So just go on this website. Hey, take a look at it. I, I get nothing from this. Hmm. But other than it, re- it's really helped me. Yeah. And I remember saying to my non-Christian friend, the, the Muslim, yeah. I said, listen, it's not like if I, I can get three Muslims in a month, I get like a flat screen TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Dude, I'm just saying this because it, it, it's made a difference, this yeah. grace-based thing. So I love that analogy of saying, and, it, and it's not forcing a person. Yeah. I'm not forcing you to go to this website and look right. at this product. Right. It, it helped me. It might help you. I Absolutely. love that view of, of sharing Christ and things like that. I, that's great. How do you, So besides prayer, that dailiness of prayer, I love that. Are there other things you do that kind of get you in this abiding mindset? Yeah, I think so. I think there's several things. It's um, it's what some people have historically called means of grace. Mm. Um, you know, uh, community I think is is a rich thing for my for my wife and I. Um, reading uh, deeply good books, uh, especially biographies of oh. people. I just finished one on um, Amy Carmichael, which oh. I which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, but but you know, again, I don't want to paint the picture. That I'm just kind of in this comatose state of abiding. You, you know what <laughs> yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but I think it's developing a God consciousness, mm-hmm. it, it's trying to be con- constantly aware. You know, even when I'm spending time with my kids or my wife and I are connecting at the end of the day, that kind of a thing. So that's good. What are the signs for you, Brian, that you're that you're getting off in, uh, off base in this area. You bring up the rich young ruler or the or the wealth in Matthew 19 and this deeply disturbed soul where he asks, teacher, what must I do? Yeah. And you bring out that story. I think there's something in there that it's pretty easy for us 
to go through life, we catch this, and but then we can go off a little bit. We start to miss just a piece of this, and we begin to see. Sometimes it's in relationships. We yeah. want to earn that with a, a spouse or somebody that we're in a relationship with. But the, are there signs or markers for you in your life that you found? You know what? This is. I'm starting to go back, fall back into this very easy. Path. That's a great question, Chris. The number one indicator for me is how I treat others. Mm. So if I view my relationship with God as this performance-based thing, mm-hmm. then guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to require people to perform for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I know I'm drifting off base. And look, every day I think is just a fight mm-hmm. to, to, to stay on track, but I know I'm drifting yeah. when you know, I got that performance orientation with my wife. And, you know, or my attitudes with people or, you know, I'm the type of person, if you wrong me, and, and, you know, I'll just put it out there as a pastor, right? You know, people can just, you can just be a punching bag, <laughs> you know? And uh, so, you know, someone says something to me I don't like, or I just feel like they're being rude or mean. I'm the type of person, it's real easy for me to just kind of dismiss you, mm-hmm. put you in a box, ignore you. It's code word for really just being unforgiving. Mm-hmm. That that tells me that mm-hmm. that's performance. Mm-hmm. You didn't perform the way that I think you should, mm-hmm. so I'm going to kind of reward you for your lack of performance. Oh, that's, that's a good indicator light for me, how I treat people. But let me, so I'm trying to think of of, of how our listeners are hearing this and even how I'm hearing this because here's my pushback on that yeah. and it's just an inclination is okay so let's say my wife honey this is just an illustration <laughs> let's say that Noreen isn't performing I mean she's not doing what I think a Christian wife needs to do so on one hand now I, I don't put a performance um, based on her I give her grace yeah. I give her love part of me is thinking well she's never going to change that, that's, she's never going to change because, hey, I'm, I'm acting this way and Tim doesn't change in his love towards me. So part of me is like, I don't even know what I think the alternative is. The alternative yeah. is to shame her into it, is to punish her into it, is to withhold my love yeah. so that she'll kind of get into shape. So I'm just thinking of what listeners are thinking. They're, so it's like, hey, he's getting, she's getting a free pass. Yeah. Because I'm loving this person and their um, conduct isn't improving. It might be getting worse. Yep. So I love how the illustration just caused us to drift to what I think is a good – it's actually a whole chapter in the book that I argue that the primary theater to play out this performance-free love is marriage. Yep. Mm, that's right. Mm-hmm. It's the covenant of marriage. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, of course, thanks for the clarification. doesn't mean we don't have hard conversations with each other. And we, we challenge each other. I think in the early days of my marriage, I was really trying to clone my wife into my image. Oh, <laughs> sure. You, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. And there was just, but what happens, at least in our marriage over time, you know, so, so for me, the focus immediately was on the behavior. Yeah. Mm. So, but what happened to me over time, as I got to know my wife's story, as I really got to know her story, yeah. And I, I've, I have a permission to share this publicly. I always share it at family life marriage conferences. You know, my wife and I, we used to get into it all the time because, I'll say this on a Biola podcast, every like quarter I enjoyed a glass of wine. 
Mm. Wait, can we cut this real quick? Is there any way that... The views expressed on this show do not necessarily... <laughs> so let's take a commercial break yeah. and we'll be back. All right, we're back with Ryan Lorenz. Oh, no, not really. So she would emotionally shut down and would mutter stuff under her breath. And then I'm going, ain't this something? The government mm. says it's okay. Mm. But uh, Miss Legalism over here, mm. you know. And so then the next thing I know, we're, there's this huge battle. Yeah. Well, then what here, – here's what, I, what I'm trying to get at. When, it, when, when she opens up and shares with me mm-hmm. that, hey, everyone I've ever loved has abused this. Uh, mm, yeah. you, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And the hurt that's come out of it. Well, now I'm starting to understand the issue behind the issue. That's right. You know what I'm saying? And so what that causes me to do, that now facilitates understanding. It deepens a sense of sympathy and awareness. And and I go, I love this woman more than I love this glass. That's good. You know what I'm saying? And so now with the understanding, I think grace is stimulated there. But that's only... That only happens when you really understand a person's narrative. That's so good, Brian. That we call that perspective taking. Right. That I need to see the world through the eyes of my wife and my kids. Yeah. Boy, to see how they're interpreting my actions. Yeah. And 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 how my actions have been formed by my father. It's like, man, you can look at my parenting style and it's like a reaction against my father in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so but to, but to see it through your eyes, there's a woman named Maria Lugones who calls this world traveling, that I travel into your world mm-hmm. and see how you've constructed the world and how you've constructed me within your world. Mm-hmm. That is worth its weight in gold. But to don't do that. you guys think you know, I so I've got a 15-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 12-year-old. <laughs> All boys. And so but I'm constantly aware I am I am shaping their view of who God is. Oh yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so am I going to hand them a performance deal? I mean, that's a profound thing for me and I'm wrestling with it and there's times in which I'm going yeah. I'm giving you some very wrong pictures of who God is. Yeah, yeah. it's an inter- it's a sobering thought that many of your children in fact are learning who God is not only in what you say and in what you do. But in watching how you treat your spouse, for yes. example, and so yes. in watching that, there's nothing you're going to have to say to them. They'll simply pick this up by watching. Does he have kindness? Does he treat her with respect? You know, what, yep. And and you they pick this up and watch. We've all done that, right? Yep. We've seen ways of treating each other that way. Yep. Yep. Very powerful. Hey, you mentioned. I thought this was interesting. What I appreciate about you, Brian, is that you're just not afraid to talk about issues that can be difficult issues to talk about. And I love this where you talk about um, the indicator light of the kingdom. And you mentioned that you think there's like a spiritual check engine light and that there are two things that really can pop up and they're money and possessions. Which, um, you're a pastor, I've had a chance sometimes to be the interim teaching pastor. And it's like, the only person who can talk about money is the interim teaching (laughs) pastor. Because he's not going to be around long. But yeah, why money? Well, what is it about money that's that the light on your spiritual dashboard that you've got to attend to, or it tells you how the car is doing? Yeah, so, so Jesus, the point I make in the book, it's interesting. He talks about worry, mm-hmm. but right before talking about worry, he talks about possessions. And those things he links to the heart. Mm. I once had a lady come to me after church one Sunday, and she says, why don't you ever talk about tithing? I said, you know, you're probably the first church member in the history of the church <laughs> to encourage their pastor to talk about tithing. Oh, yeah. And I actually said to her, I think tithing, to talk about tithing is 
It's necessary, right? But it's too low of a goal. Mm. I try to talk to the heart yeah. because yeah. whatever has your heart yeah. Yeah, is going to have your checkbook. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that's, I mean, that's, that's what Jesus talks about. Mm -hmm. And so when you put it there, I mean, for Corey and I to constantly go, does God have our heart? Mm -hmm. Well, if he has our heart, then we write the checks. Mm -hmm. That's just a completely different paradigm for people. That's it. Yeah. That's, and we give ourselves a pass all the time. Uh, I just recently spoke in a church and, and said, when Jesus talks about the rich young ruler, all of us go, oh, okay, awesome. Go after him. When James talks about the wealthy, hey, that's awesome. You know, go at it. But I had him refer to the globalrichlist.com, yes. yes. where you take the median um, income in, in Orange County, which is $78,000, and you plug it into globalrichlist.com. It compares you to farmers in Zimbabwe, and you are in the 0.11% of the most wealthy people in the world. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus is talking about the rich young ruler, he's talking about us. Absolutely. And... You know, Ron Sider in his wonderful book, The Scandal of oh. the Evangelical Conscience, Come he on says, now. on average, Christians give 2.5% of their income. Yeah. Well, and Muslims are required, isn't it like, two, isn't it 2.5, 3%? Oh, really? Something like I that? Didn't know that? I think it's something like that yep. in that ballpark. Yeah, so that's it. Yeah, and, and again, this is what kills me about being a parent. You could walk up to each one of my kids and say, what's your dad passionate about? And they would know, what do I talk about the most? What do I absolutely make time for, and where do I spend my money? Mm. And that is, man, that is, I just love sports. Mm -hmm. yeah. Brian, I just love sports. I'll clear out an afternoon, watch University of Michigan, and watch UNC Chapel Hill, and I can talk, I can talk all day long about NCAA basketball. Yeah. And, and again, we don't want to be shamed into it. Well, okay, my goodness, I talked a half hour about sports, and I need to talk about a half hour about God. Right. But at the same time, I do think it's fair for my kids to say, yeah, dad gets pretty worked up about these yeah. things. And he doesn't get that worked up about spiritual things. Except maybe on Sunday, then we all kind of whatever. That, that to me is kind of convicting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brian, tell us um, in the last couple minutes here about the reaction to the book. Uh, just as you've you know, been talking about this, uh, there's been some, some great feedback we've received, some people that have been reading it. It's not been out that long, but uh, Saving the Saved is out there now. And uh, what's some of the things you're hearing? And I think the word I keep hearing from people is the word freeing. Oh, good. And this, this was really freeing for me. Yeah. And it was a breath of fresh air, mm. um, which, which, you know, you can never manuscript the results, mm -hmm. um, but I should say choreograph, but that that's kind of what I was going for mm -hmm. is I wanted people to feel a sense of freedom. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I, I think there are probably a few ouch moments uh, within the book as well. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that's good. Brian is extremely well written. It, it captured your heart and your life, and it was real challenging. And what a great opportunity just to be able to share that with our listeners. And I hope they go out and get this and and read it. Um, yeah, Zondervan Press, yeah. and uh, just came out. It's great. So give it a good read. Yeah, 2016. Yeah. And Brian, it's good to have you here with us. Oh, I think you know we're going to do. Guys. If you don't mind, we're going to have another podcast, and we're just going to simply talk about relationships as a pastor and as a leader out there. Uh, I think hearing a little bit your heart and uh, just being able to talk to you about that. How's that sound? Love it. All right. Hey, Dr. Muehlhoff. Go Tar Heels. <laughs> <laughs> Good to have you here, both y'all. And uh, thanks for joining us on The Art of Relationships. And we'll talk to y'all next time. <laughs>